Well, hello, it's the Jim Meskimen podcast. I just got off a plane from Atlanta and I was um, thinking about several things. I'm in a sort of a mood, as you can tell. I'm uh, trying to evoke as much as possible the spirit of the late great Orson Welles because there's um, something that I wanted to discuss that seems to require the personality and uh, um, viewpoint, if you will, of uh, the great genius Orson Welles, who, of course, manufactured his own genius, which anyone, by the way, is allowed to do. Uh, certainly takes a bit of discipline, as much discipline as it is to be a great liar does it take to be a great genius in many ways, and the two can complement one another. I don't do a perfect impression of Orson Welles by any means. I leave that to the experts, Maurice LaMarche and others who are far more capable, but I can at least evoke and feel inside myself the strange sort of wonderful bemusement and, uh, and of a spirit of observation that Orson Welles had. I don't know if you've ever seen the um, Orson Welles sketchbooks, of which there are perhaps three in number, that are on YouTube, but I recommend them highly. They're quite um, quite particular. In any case, I was um, happened to be thinking on this long and not terribly uncomfortable flight from Atlanta this morning uh, where I was doing a performance. I was thinking about, unfortunately, looking out the window and thinking about my own checkered past, which is, of course, the sort of thing that you do when you look out of a window at a beautiful um, sun-dappled day across the what they call flyover country. Very disparaging. And I happen to notice that in my life I've approached professionalism in a variety of fields. I have been almost, uh, or let's say barely. I, I've, I've barely attained professionalism in several fields. I've barely been a character designer for television and Rankin Bass's Thundercats. I was, in fact, the chief character designer on a show that was of, you know, some repute and yet nominally satisfying from an aesthetic point of view. And I've been, uh, you know, almost a, a television uh, personality. Uh, you might say that's self-critical, and I don't mean to be. I'm just pointing out in a very, very passionless uh, way the observation that I have not quite attained the level of uh, perhaps, um, let's not say stardom, that's such a, a disgusting word, really, when you look at it, as particularly when talking about oneself, but um, a level of professionalism where people would recognize you and, and you'd have more than ten lines, let's say, in any given piece. Barely made it there, and then I've barely made it as a classical oil painter as well, although I studied and I did attain the skills. But, of course, there are many more skills that one attains in an entire career of almost any phase of the arts. And I dare say there are other careers where I've barely attained professionalism and uh, and begun the, the slow emergence out of the primordial stew onto the, the jagged shoreline of professionalism. And uh, for a moment it was a little bit discouraging to consider that and sitting up there at 30,000 feet looking down at the, at the dry desert with the puffy clouds trailing their shadows below. And then I recognized also that it could be argued that I'm a barely an impressionist or barely a professional impressionist. My appearance on America's Got Talent notwithstanding, which is as much a denunciation of my talent as a sort of a uh, acknowledgement of it. But I happened to see, um, perhaps incautiously, looked at a very, very stunning video by James Arnold Taylor, who is an impressionist of of some incredible skill, and I recommend it highly to you. There's a video of him doing, well, it must be over a hundred voices in five minutes' time, where he 
draws a little map, just as I've tried to do in my own work, of the changing of the voice and, uh, and see what happens when you take a voice and darken it, speed it up, give it an accent, thin it out, make it more brittle, make it more growly, that sort of thing. And he traces through in a very, very excellent multimedia presentation um, a myriad of celebrities, which he duplicates quite quite efficiently. And uh, it was I felt as if I'd been schooled for those five minutes and 49 seconds in uh, an art uh, which I felt like I already had several very solid footholds in. I realized that there was another mountaineer that had gone on far higher in altitude and was planting a not insignificant flag in the promontory. In any case, it's exhausting to talk like Orson Welles. So in any case, I looked at that and I thought to myself, well, gosh, you know, uh, that's sort of um, discouraging to think that, wow, I've, I've barely made professional status in so many fields. And perhaps you feel this way, too, that you're, you, you haven't quite made it to where you thought you'd be by now or where you, headed, you were heading towards when you were younger. And, uh, well, I have some insight on that because I think... You know, rather than than bemoan that, because I've, you know I've kind of had it up to here with people bemoaning it. I've had people around me for years going, "Well, you know, I never quite, gee, if I could only, and if I had this, and all that stuff." Which is after a while, after you hear it the two thousandth time, you recognize that there must be something a little bit suspicious about it. And so, in my own thoughts, when it comes up, I'm also equally suspicious. Eventually. And uh, I thought, well, we're always heading towards some new level of, of, of expertise or, um, or perfection or accomplishment in some field, and particularly in the arts where there is no knee plus ultra, there is no final thing. You're meandering dangerously off the point there, old man. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, I realize that. Uh, but I guess I'd rather be striving and continuing to strive for some high lofty level of accomplishment uh, than uh, the other two choices, which are having already reached some high summit and then being a former uh, star of some kind or a, oh, he tried and then he gave up. And, and of course, I'm not going to give up. Uh, I do put things aside for a while, like painting and other things. I even like to write songs. I like to, I like to, I've started many screenplays, never finished one. Uh, these things weigh on my, on my soul but I recognize that, uh, you know, first things first, I'm trying to establish a beachhead in, in entertainment as an actor and a performer. And so I sort of let things slide. But then, you know, you think, well, I need to push myself further. And perhaps you could learn something about pushing through and not failing to um, sort of reset your sights and uh, push yourselves towards a goal again, you know. And, uh, and truly, anything is can be accomplished. Now, they, there may be setbacks and there may be obstacles and hopefully there are obstacles otherwise it's pretty boring you know imagine if you had a one of these races in the olympics or the uh, high hurdles and someone forgot to set up the hurdles one day and the guys just went through and did the race and took the leaps and at the end of it they all looked at each other kind of strangely panting going were there hurdles i thought i thought there were going to be hurdles it wouldn't feel quite the same it would be a, an odd little award ceremony Everybody looking kind of sheepish. Anyway, perhaps it's being at a high altitude and looking out the window of an airplane uh, when you've had not enough sleep that, that makes me think of these philosophical things. But I think it's true. And so I'm I'm going to, what am I going to do in response to that? What what lesson have I learned? Well, I, I, I knew I wanted to talk to you about it. And uh, I also have decided to lay out a course of action on the 
the professions that I am still interested in attaining a degree of, of professionalism in, of, of you know, true professionalism, even a high achievement in, uh, lay out some sort of a plan, however nebulous, uh, to accomplish even some short-term goals. I want to have an art show. I've got a bunch of paintings that have been in production this year, and uh, I'd hope to have a show in November. It's November now. Then <laughs> half of them aren't done. Uh, but I'm going to try and get them done as soon as I can and call that the 2014 show whenever it happens. And uh, I do have to reconstruct completely my uh, Jim Pression show and get that up and running. And that now, I, having seen James Arnold Taylor, and I, I, I have to tell you, you need to watch this video. It's really, really a stunning accomplishment. And I believe I've worked with him before. I'm going to have to look it up. But I don't know him well, and I'm going to be trying to contact him to tell him uh, what a fan I am. But it was uh, just stunning and a beautiful presentation of, uh, it's like a journey through voices, which is the same kind of thing I've been trying to communicate to audiences too. So that's the one thing that I knew I had to do is recreate my own show. The Jim Pression Show needs to be completely rebooted, and that just takes hard work. It takes sitting down and figuring out what I want to say, how I want to say it, what voices to include, and what the point of it is, because uh, it has to be interesting and inspiring to me before I can make it inspiring and interesting to audiences. And I, I desperately want to do that. I desperately want to reach people and, uh, and make them feel make them feel, I don't know, help them recognize something about themselves and about the world around them. That's one of my purposes as an artist. And, of course, to do things like this. And we're uh, very happy to have Spencer Dollop here. Spencer is uh, one of the people out there. He's making money when nobody else is. Uh, you know, the economy's in terrible shape, but Spencer Dollop and uh, entrepreneurs like him have uh, found a way to and it really best this economy, and it's great to have you. Um, Spencer, you, uh, you worked uh, for years in the sports licensing uh, area, and now you've come up with a way uh, where you're actually getting people to sponsor uh, different, uh, different kinds of, of uh, companies. That's uh, right, much, Carl. Much like the race cars uh, that you used to work with, and now you're working with uh, people getting actual tattoos. Uh, of uh, different kind of brands and logos, and uh, and that's turning into you're, you're spinning that right into gold. That's right. Uh, as you know, the advertising dollar has been stretched about as far as a rubber band can be stretched, and uh, everywhere you go now, uh, you're seeing a lot of uh, advertising spaces that you have not been seen before. You know, am I cutting edge? I am cutting edge, but I felt like if I didn't do it, someone else would have. Well, you you really is a masterstroke because uh, you know, of course. Uh, a lot of these athletes that we see today, and even normal people on the street, uh, they're wasting, as you said uh, in the brochure that I saw, they're wasting a lot of skin surface area that could be put to uh, promotional use. Kyle, you said the exact right term, uh, surface area. And as anyone will tell you, advertising really comes down to maximum gain from maximum, maximum surface area. And uh, what we do, what our company does, uh, Surface Area Industries, is we work with what is a plain surface that something else can be put on? Mm-hmm. And you've already uh, looked, of course, into billboards and uh, billboards. Uh, elevators. <laughs> Kyle, like don't make me laugh. Yeah. Uh, the, that's archaic. You know, That's almost like dinosaur talking. Okay, yeah. billboards and signs and bus stop ads. You've got, we, we have, at Surface Area Industries, we have to think outside the box. Well, out you did with the uh, – tell us a little bit about the story of the, of the New Zealand swim team that agreed, <laughs> all of them, uh, the, the men's uh, swim team. It was a 400-medley uh, relay uh, swim team. And their relationship to uh, the – 
Hasbro company. Right. Okay. Uh, we uh, went in, and the New Zealand team. Now, the New Zealand did not sport a great team uh, at, at the at the uh, at the World Invitational Finals last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were had. They I think they were uh, took place in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Uh, needless to say, uh, they did not front a great team. And we approached them and said, well, there's a reason why you're not approaching a great team is that you don't have a great aquatic facility. And they did not mm-hmm. have a great aquatic facility. Really? And they needed money, mm-hmm. funds to better improve their aquatic so you, facilities. You came, to them, you came to them at really the right time. I came at the exact right time. Anyway, you know, uh, so I said, look, okay, it's a done deal. You're not going to win this event. And they knew it too. All four of the guys knew it too. They knew, I was not telling them anything new. I said, look, let's make lemonade and lemons. You're probably going to place either fifth or sixth, but you're going to get more media attention because what I'm going to do to you fellows is I'm going to tattoo every one of your backs, except for the backstroker. I tattooed his front. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, uh, it was so this that, was right before the event. It was right before the so event. So these are very fresh tattoos. These are very fresh tattoos. Now, the Hasbro were... symbol is one of the most well-known and recognized symbols in the world. Mm-hmm. And so it was featured on the prominently on the backs and one front of these uh, New Zealand swimmers. And what was the response from uh, from the people in the public, uh, people in the public were, were fir- at first uh, laughed, and then that turned to outrage, mm-hmm. and then that turned to dollars in the bank. Uh, uh, who's laughing now? Mm-hmm. If you lo- look at your look at your stats right now, mm-hmm. okay, and look at what the New Zealand swim team—they're now ranked third in the third in the world. Well, of course, we all know what happened to Hasbro stock directly after that, and uh, the swim team benefited. So it's a real win-win situation. Win-win situation for everyone involved. What would your dream uh, person be? to uh, sport the logo, uh, a tattoo, an actual tattoo logo. And they have to be actual, don't they? I mean, it, an artificial tattoo just doesn't No, henna, henna is not going to cut it because mm-hmm. um, you can see right through it. Mm-hmm. And, and hey, Kyle, look, uh, you want a sense of permanency, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, look, look, you drive down drive down any street in America, any mm-hmm. street in America, okay, Main yeah. Street in America, right. and you look at the billboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are, they're as fickle as the wind. Right. You know, they, they turn permanent. over. They turn over. So you tend not to believe anything mm-hmm. that's there, you know, because you, know, <laughs> you know it's not going to be there next week, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So, but now a permanent tattoo means permanent, permanent sponsorship. Mm-hmm, it's okay. a commitment. It's a lifelong thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, well, I, I, to answer your question. So yeah, your, your dream, who would your dream person be to sport uh, a corporate logo? Okay. Dream person to sport a corporate logo, without a doubt, sumo wrestlers. Ah, once again. Surface area, surface area. okay, yeah. and very little. Uh, they're, you know, I don't know what their tongs, the little tongs they wear, or whatever those the, the little, the little underpants, mm-hmm. little under- sumo undies. Yeah, the sumo undies is very, very small yeah. compared you, to the, you can't the even put vast a, do they area. Do have a label? I don't know. No. But the vast area of the body. Vast area of the body. You could probably fit quite a few logos on one person. Well, we're talking to a, uh, a Yakiro Mahana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's, uh, he's lives in Osaka, Japan, mm-hmm. and um, he's currently ranked ninth. Uh, he's down there because you're All still right. approaching people that are comers. Yeah, yeah. yeah we want to get the up and comers mm-hmm. because we you know. And so we have approached him, and and uh, we're we're in negotiations with him. How much does he weigh? Oh, oof, uh, last last week, four hundred seventy-five. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I don't know what the surface area. I don't. I'm not good with numbers with mm-hmm. math. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, it's enough for a. It's a. It's a. It's. He, how many logos do you think you can stick on that guy? We, if we're careful with about good visibility, we're trying to get anywhere between twelve and fifteen logos mm-hmm. on him. Now he's already committed to the Whitman sampler. Mm-hmm. That's a done deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a STP motor oil, mm-hmm. which that's tried and true. Mm-hmm. These okay. are all American brands. So he doesn't mind. Does not American does brand? not mind at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and and cup of noodles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that you know. 
that goes that crosses over to both the Asian uh, Asian demographic mm-hmm. and uh, and the American. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Well, um, now let me ask you this: Has anyone at this early stage of it, of any of the athletes, turned? And uh, or any of your public figures decided, well, you know what, I got to get this corporate logo taken off. Has that happened? Have there been any removals of sponsorship? Yeah, well, there have been there have been some negative uh, aspects to this. Uh, things that our research R and D fellows and our uh, eco- economic analysts did not see, because mm-hmm. uh, naturally we want to only put a brand that we know is going to stick around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we had a disastrous effect with mm-hmm. uh, United and Continental. Mm-hmm. When United took over Continental, mm-hmm. we had an entire Paul Vault team, mm-hmm. and we had- uh, The whole team. The whole team, mm-hmm. uh, just their lower torso, just their legs. Mm-hmm. We had the uh, Continental branding put on them. Wow. And when they were swallowed up, mm-hmm. that was, it was, it was a lot of ill will. And that's know. not just something that uh, some pairs of high socks can't, can't fix? Hmm. Have you seen how short, short the Paul Walters pants are? Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, that tattoo goes almost right straight up. Yeah, well, know. that's where surface area really becomes a kind of a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thanks, Spencer, for being on the show. Sure, it's fascinating, and I uh, wish you all the best. I'm sure you've got other ideas percolating, other places to put corporate logos. We're looking forward. What's oh. your big dream? I mean, the biggest, I mean. <laughs> well, we're experimenting. Uh, I've been talking to people out at Andrews Air Force Base mm-hmm. and also the people at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and mm-hmm. we're trying to, what we're trying to do is we're trying to mist clouds. Mm. We're trying to actually try to get some sort of uh, image onto a cloud. Wow. And of course, that wouldn't be permanent, mm-hmm. but long enough just to make that sale. I mean, how, how great would it be to be, uh, you know, uh, relaxing out in Sheep's Meadow, you know, mm-hmm. in Manhattan, looking up at the majestic skyline, and puffy clouds fly right overhead, and you go, I, I got to run out and get a Philly cheesesteak right now. Mm-hmm. Why? Because a Philly cheesesteak right is on a cloud. Incredible. Thanks so much. Thank you. You know, when I was a little boy, I used to love to imitate old people, and I think it was probably hilarious. I don't have much contact with seven- and eight-year-old kids anymore, but uh, since I mine, mine exploded and grew up, but uh, I used to see them around a lot, and if I see a little kid pretending to be an old person, it, it's hilariously funny. And uh, I, used to, I used to figure out, I could figure out how to be an old person by copying the old actors that I saw, in particular, Artie Johnson, of Laugh-In fame, who, uh, you know, played the <laughs> this old man with the crazy Einstein hair, and he'd ride around on a little, I believe he was the same guy that rode around on the little bicycle on Laugh-In, although that, that, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, but he definitely played the old man on the park bench with Ruth Buzzy, who, you know, you know, it was one of those gags that was always structured exactly the same way. He would sit on the park bench next to her, and she was this very... <laughs> old maidy looking woman with a hairnet and a lumpy sweater and he would say would you like to hold my hand and she'd thwack him with the purse and then he'd say would you like a walnetto she'd thwack him again even harder and then he'd say something like would you like to take me to the emergency room and she'd hit him one last time walk off and he'd fall off the bench and that was the funniest thing that I ever saw when I was eight years old um, and I had the great pleasure, years later, of directing Artie Johnson in an audiobook which has not yet been released, uh, although he has now passed. And I, I couldn't stop gushing over him because he'd meant so much to me as a little kid. And I'm sure he heard that from a billion people. And he would say, he was also the guy that went, very interesting, but stupid. All this stuff that I 
knew so well and I could not wait to see. And now when you tell somebody, it's like, and, and what did you like about that? <laughs> but of course, we were learning so much about comedy and particularly me at an early age, learning about, you know, what is a gag? What makes you laugh? What, what tickles you? And uh, gosh, they just had it in that show. Laugh in. It'll never happen again. I mean, it was like, it was really like a little crazy vaudeville show or like, it was like a bunch of vines, modern day vines all stuck together. Crazy stuff. So there you go. Thanks to Jeff Levin for the theme music for the uh, Jim Eskimen podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Tate Rupert for his improvisations there. And uh, please uh, do watch The Impression Guys. Right now we're on YouTube. And as I said, and I continue to say, there is uh, every possibility that uh, our (laughs) next seven episodes will be released soon. I don't know when. I'll let you know. Heck, the second it happens, I'm going to tell you. Because we got some wonderful episodes that I know you're going to love. And it's been very nice and patient of you to hang on and listen to me blather about this show that, for all you know, never happened. And, and I'm just lying about seven episodes. But I can tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you, they do exist. And they're just, what we're keeping them in Area 51 for a little longer, and then we'll spring them on the world. Okay, have a great week. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.